Uh, let's move into the message now as we continue the Come Together series. And I want to start with this story of the wealthy performing artist who was looking for a new driver. And he had three people he could interview for this job. And so the first person comes in and says, uh, so the question is, that the interview question is just one question they had to get right. If there was a cliff and you being the driver of me and my entourage, and there's a, there's a cliff nearby, how close could you get to that cliff and be sure that you could keep us safe? And the first, the first potential driver said, look, I could go within three metres of that cliff and still feel well in control of the car and be able to keep everybody safe. He said, thank, thank you for your time, I appreciate that. Next person came in for the interview. Same question, how close could you get to that cliff and keep everybody in the car safe? And uh, they, only have, they only have one job, they're a driver. This is going to be their professional you know, work, workplace. And so this guy says, look, I could get within a metre of the cliff and feel like I could still keep everybody safe. So he was dismissed as well. And the third person who comes in, who eventually gets the job, says this. This is his answer. If there were a cliff, then I would be staying as far away from it as possible because I think that's how I could keep everybody safe. According to the Bible, there's a boundary line that we get to as we approach sin. We enter into a temptation zone, but the problem is that the line is hazy and it's slippery once you get close to it. And in our Bible reading tonight, we're going to see in Galatians chapter 6, this, this whole arena of temptation is very deceptive. People slip in not intending to turn away from God, not, not making that as a deliberate choice of the mind, but they get close to the line. They go for a look and they end up at a loss. They lose their character. They lose their innocence. They lose their holiness. And the only safe zone when it comes to temptation and sin is run a mile. Get out of the vicinity. Get away from the boundary line. Get away from the side of the cliff because you're sure to get hurt. Sin is like a fire that when we get, get near it and too close to it, we surely get burnt. And this is a sentiment here in Galatians 6 as we approach the scriptures tonight. There's somebody who's been torched by sin and they're now caught, the Bible says, in that. They're caught in this sin and they're not going to get out of this bind without help. And this is a thing we need to understand about sin. Once we get in, it's hard to get out. And in here in Galatians 6, we're going to find that this particular person is going to stay stuck without the help of people coming alongside and helping lift them out of this particular problem. And it ties in well with what we were talking about last weekend. We talked about confessing our sins to people, surprisingly. Um, if you've been around a Protestant church, you've probably only ever heard of confessing your sins to God. But in James 5 last week, and we talked about confessing our sins to people. And there's a distinct difference. We confess our sins to God for forgiveness, but we confess our sins to people for healing. People are part of the restoration process. And we're going to see that again here in Galatians 6. This is about burden bearing. It's a different context to the one James was writing to, but the same dynamic is playing out here. Breakthrough is going to take a team effort. You won't be able to get out of a hole all by yourself. Life is not God and me. Life is God and we. We need each other. We need to buy into this idea of community. Humans are part of the healing process. And when I make 
bad choices and get myself stuck as I inevitably will and as you inevitably will. We need each other to help break free and find hope again. The song says, in Christ alone my hope is found. And that's okay. That's why we discover hope in Christ alone. But often when we've had a crash and we need to recover hope, it's found in community actually. It's restored in the presence of other people. So let's jump in and look at Galatians chapter 6. And let me remind you that if you fall asleep in three minutes' time, I'm actually quite happy with that. I don't mind if you miss my words, but don't miss the Word of God because this is actually the highlight of us gathering, is gathering together and listening to what God says. And this matters far more than what I say. Sometimes we read through the Scriptures and then say, well, just meander our way through there and then we'll listen to what the preacher's got to say about it. No, listen to this first and foremost. This is the highlight. This is the important part. Are you ready to hear from God? Galatians 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way, you fulfil the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Take that one, John, and let it knock the arrogance right out of you. Verse 4, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to somebody else. For each one should carry their own load. Touches on comparison then. It's always a bad thing. Comparison only ever does two things. It deflates me or it puffs me up. I'll find someone worse off than me. I'll find someone better off than me. But comparison never helps. So verse 6, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. What would that need to be said? Suggest to me that doing good takes effort. And it does. But it's so worth it. Why? For at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is the word of the Lord, and may he add his blessing to it. Now, there's more in this passage than specialised instruction to helpers, but that's the angle that we're going to approach this particular scripture this weekend. And that's in part because last weekend we were addressing what it looks like to ask for help from others. So this weekend, we're going to be focusing on what it looks like to give help to others. So we're, we're flipping the conversation around and, and considering it from a different perspective. Now, I know there's more here in this passage than that, but that's the lens for the sake of time we're going to be drilling down on and focusing on. The ones doing the ministry, the ones providing the assistance to others, the ones that are helping. That's what we're going to focus on as we look at this text. What can we learn as a helper? Now, I know someone under the sound of my voice is going to go, yeah, but I'm not in a position right now to, to think about others. Like, I need help 
myself. That's okay. We all visit that station. We all, from time to time in life, need the help of one another. But our emphasis right now in this passage will be on being the helper. And there'll still be some takeaways for the person who needs help, no doubt. But our focus is going to be on being the minister, being the helper, being the assistant for others. So let's take a look. As we endeavour to help others, we remember that we are never ourselves beyond sin's reach. This is the first piece of wisdom gained in um, Galatians chapter 6. Don't forget to watch your own soul, to watch your own condition of the heart. Hey, you rescuer type, don't get too big for your boots and start to think, well, I'm up here and they're down there. No, no, no. Know that you yourself are forever in danger. And this is what verse 2 tells us. Watch yourself or you also may be tempted. In your attempt to, to help everybody else, recognise your own tendency towards temptation. Don't think you're beyond it. Don't think you're strong and big and utterly pious and you can't fall down there. You can easily fall down there just like they have. Some of us are so busy expending energy helping others that our own soul has lost its health. We lose ourselves within that. This is Paul's counsel here. Watch out. You might end up being compromised if you don't keep your own spiritual state in good health. This is Paul's counsel. Watch out. Be careful that you don't fall in as you approach that boundary line of sin and try and help others out. This is a susceptibility that's in us as humans. We are in danger whenever we get near that line. We can fall in just as quickly as they do. Don't underrate the dark side is what Paul's counsel is here in Galatians 6. We all, we all have a tendency to fall in. The flow of the text suggests that the person who's fallen in here hasn't gone through a premeditated behavioural situation where they've kind of intentionally chosen this. No, they slipped and they fell and now they're caught. So don't fool yourself. Don't think, well, that could never happen to me. Don't let pride well up in you and think, oh, you know, I, I just, just wouldn't ever go there. Uh, yes, you can and yes, you are likely to if you have that kind of proud outlook. Somebody has said that one of the key missions of life is to stop being the younger brother without turning into the older brother. And that's reflecting on the story that Luke tells about the prodigal sons, which should be plural, but often in our modern age, we call it the prodigal son singular. But there's actually two lost sons in that story. Just one of them didn't know he was lost. That's because he was outwardly holy. He had all of his life together. He was ticking all the rules. And yet his heart, his inner being was far from God, full of pride. And the younger son was outwardly rebellious, but at least he knew he had a problem. And the real telling part of that story, and we don't have time to go there in depth, but the real telling part of that story is who ends up outside the house at the end of it? The older son, the proud son, the one who thought he was too good to ever do any of that behaviour. This is a warning to us. Hey, be careful. We are just beggars telling other beggars where we found bread. We are not beyond the reach of sin. It can touch us at any point in time. Even Wesley, with his great dedication to holiness, 
founder of the Wesleyan Church, he said, it's not that a disciple is unable to sin, but able not to sin. And there's a difference. We haven't lost our capacity to sin. We never will. But we are able not to sin. Sin will be forever deceitful. We should remember that. We'll never lose our vulnerability to it. So as we endeavour to reach out and help others, we remember that we ourselves actually are endangered. We also notice in this passage that as we reach out and help others, we ought to know that their burden can endure long after their behavioural change. Sin will always cause damage, as indicated here in Galatians 6, and create a burden, create a weight to carry. Sometimes that weight or the consequence of the choices made is of a more permanent nature. And this is super tough. We'll return to this thought in a moment. Before I unpack that, the lasting burden, let's just work out first whether the burden here in Galatians 6 is related to sin or not. Because I spent a long time last week saying that not all suffering is a result of sin. And we, we went to the top of the tree and we said, Jesus Christ is the highest example of that, right? He never sinned and yet he went through tremendous suffering. So we need to be careful about neat and tidy formulas where we say, oh, because bad stuff's happening must be because bad choices are made. Not always. In this case, though, in Galatians, it is because of poor choices. It's very, very clear. In verse 1, it says that, that there's a sin attached to this burden. There is a burden because of a poor choice, and it's a really, really serious burden. We're not talking about here someone who went out last night and partied and drank too much and has got a headache. That's serious and that's sinful, but this suffering here is of a more permanent nature. It's not going to be fixed by a bit of sleep and a bit of water. This is something that cannot be fixed by the person on their own. They need help. They will stay trapped unless somebody comes in to rescue. And we get that because of the word used. And the King James word is overtaken. The NIV word is caught or trapped in sin. But, but what's it mean to be overtaken? I've lost my ability to help myself when I'm overtaken. And here's a person that's been overtaken by sin. Maybe they're stuck in addiction, possibly. But whatever it is, it's a serious situation. It's destructive behaviour and they can't get out. But they didn't know the choice that they were making when they walked through the gate. Nobody chooses addiction. They choose fun. But sometimes when we get through the gate and the enemy gleefully slams it behind us, says, ah, I've got you where I want you now. And then we realise the repercussions of a choice made and we get stuck wasn't in the advertising, but now we're here and we realise, whoa, I've got some consequences to deal with. Here's the thing to note, though, that relates to the point on screen. Even after gaining forgiveness, the burden can still remain. I don't like that. It's a warning that I would rather kind of ignore, or do away with, but it's here for us. Burdens can long endure after behavioural change has been made. Let me try and be super clear. We are forgiven the moment we repent. When we 
come to God and repent of our sin. He forgives us there and then, right there in that moment. But the consequences sometimes continue on beyond that. Now, my repentance is God's immediate pardon, but sometimes the burden endures. We don't like that. We want a magic fix. We're an instantaneous culture. We have instant coffee and instant meals, instant communication, but unfortunately there's no such thing as instant godliness. And just because we've decided today to make a good choice doesn't mean the last 10 years of living is suddenly unwound. Sometimes there's consequences, unfortunately. Now, what does that mean for us? Because we're looking at this passage through the lens of being people helpers, right? Do we walk past that person and go, whoo, too far gone? Like, washing my hands of that one. Oh, I can't do anything for them. Clearly, they've made their bed. Now they have to lie in it. No, no, no. They're stuck. They need our help. They won't be able to get out of that bind without our help. And godly people are less interested in how people got into a hole because they're so infatuated in pulling them out of the hole and helping them be Restored. The overtaken ones here need restoration. Please notice that they don't need to be ignored. They don't need to be excused. They don't need to be condemned. They need to be restored. And godly people are less interested in the decisions that got a person to where they are today and far more interested in their future and where they are going and their potential in God. How do we know, though, that people are left with a burden after making a decision to change? I think it's right here in our scripture. Verse 1 talked about the sin, and then the logical flow on from there, verse 2, comes after verse 1, talks about this burden appearing. So what's that all about? Hasn't God forgiven? Yes, he has. But the tough news to hear is this. The day we leave behind the behaviour isn't necessarily the day we leave behind the burden. Let's break this down. Your friend works at a cafe and they're stealing funds. You challenge them about it. You know they're taking $100 a week out of the till behind the boss's back. And they claim to be a Jesus follower. So you bring that challenge to them like, God is not pleased with you stealing the money. You need to stop doing it. Now, This isn't an excusable behaviour, but in their mind, they have a good reason to take money because otherwise they wouldn't be able to afford the rent. What they make doesn't cover their bills, so they're $100 a week short, so they're only taking this money because it's a need. So you come with the challenge. You should stop stealing. When should you stop stealing? Immediately. You don't delay on obeying God. You need to stop now. So what happens? When do they get forgiven? Right there in that moment. Today, they're forgiven. The moment they stop stealing and say, Lord, please forgive me for what I've done. They're forgiven today. What happens tomorrow? They've got a new burden. How do they pay the rent? Where do they come up with that hundred extra dollars? See how there's a new burden now? Even after the repentance, even after the getting right with God, even after the confession, all of a sudden, I've got a burden. What are you going to do about that if you're a friend? You need to help carry the load. 
Ah, oh, Johnny, settle down. You're saying I've got to come up with the $100 a week shortfall? Maybe initially, maybe for a week, maybe for a fortnight. Maybe it's not just a freebie. Maybe the arrangement is they come and work around your property. Maybe they work to earn that money, but you actually provide it for them in the short term. You do something to contribute towards the shortfall. Now I've probably just opened up more questions for you than I've answered, but we need to move on because the next point can help us answer that. Mutual sharing is good and healthy. See, burdens can endure after behavioural change, but mutual sharing is good and healthy. Your role as the people carer is not to be the enabler. Carer, yes. Enabler, no. Carer, yes. Enabler, no. You're not exclusively to be the giver in the relationship, not for a long period of time either. That's called enabling, not helping. That's unhealthy. Now, by them moving out of their destructive behaviour of stealing from the boss, if that behaviour's just been replaced with now depending on you for that $100 a week, that's just moved the destructive behaviour from there to there. Hasn't really fixed anything. And there's a short-term dynamic where it's very much top-down, it's you serving them, but a relationship over time needs to turn more this way, where you're serving one another. This isn't a permanent arrangement where it's all the blessing coming down from you. No, the relationship's got to end up like this, where you're serving one another. And there's even days where it goes, ah, and they give to you. This is Christianity 101. This is all through our Bibles. We've been saved to serve. We carry a spirit of generosity. We are blessed, so we bless. And once we stop entitlement, we don't facilitate that. We call foul and we go, uh-uh, not playing that game. Isaac, it's time for you to come and help me. We all have burdens to carry in life, right? And here is my friend Isaac and he's got a very, very heavy burden, as you'll see when he starts to move. He can't even get up on the stage here. Imagine when he is old. <laughs> so he's got this terribly heavy burden that he's carrying all by himself. Now I can just sit by and watch that happen, say nothing to do with me, that's his life. He made the choices that got him into that, that bind and just ignore it. Or I can come alongside him and help him bear, bear that burden, right? But you know what some people do when we do this? They just go, all right, I'll leave you with it. And all of a sudden, <laughs> he's sitting there chilling out, taking a break, and I'm here carrying mine, because I have burdens too. I've got relationships that need work. I've got bills that need paying. I've got things to do and work on in my life. I've got my own backpack. And all of a sudden, I've got this one here as well. And this is unsustainable, right, for me to carry all my stuff and all of his stuff. Oh, I can't, I've got nowhere to put this if I'm going to go forward and live a productive life. This, this isn't a fair arrangement for him now to be chilling out here. <laughs> this is not how this is supposed to work. I wonder if we've found ourselves in this predicament, though, 
well, we, we, we came alongside to steady someone's load and all of a sudden they unloaded, all right? And they said, all right, over to you. Thanks, mate. I think you've helped us. In this passage, we don't even have to go beyond this passage to see these principles playing out right here, playing out. Verse 7, the one who receives instruction in the word should share in all good things with their instructor. In the context of this passage, which is about being a people helper, isn't that an incredible statement? The one who's being helped should share in all things the one who is instructing them. This is being a giver and a receiver. We're supposed to be both. If you've never received help lately, your life is out of order because you're trying to do it by yourself. But if you've never given help lately, your life is out of order because it's supposed to be an interplay between giving and receiving. As we help others, we must remember that we are never beyond the reach of sin. Burdens can endure after behavioural change. That should fill us with enormous compassion. Mutual sharing is good and healthy and it's not unreasonable to expect progress. To begin with, I got involved with Isaac because I could see he was loaded down by life. And that was okay. And it's kind of like that $100 a week scenario. For a week or for a fortnight, you do it. But unless you're a millionaire, um, that $100 a week scenario is not going to be sustainable. I'm not going to be able to do it. And the best people helper in the world is Jesus Christ. But even he had expectations on people to grow and change and move forward in life. Check the New Testament. You'll find tons of examples of that, of Jesus putting it on people to say, hey, it's up to you to change. It's up to you to respond to the grace of God. It's up to you to pull your own weight. But we don't even have to go beyond Galatians 6. It's right here. Progress is expected. There's a tension right here in this passage. I don't know if you spotted it yet. Verse 2 says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So it makes it sound like it's all on me to be forever following this guy around who's struggling and steadying his load. But no, no, no. We come to verse 5, which at first seems to contradict verse 2, but it doesn't. Because here's the tension, these work together. Verse 5 says, everyone should carry their own load. Everyone should carry their own load. There's never a place for someone to sit down and chill out and hand you their bag. That's not fair. That's not how this works. That's not community. That's enablement. So which is it? I carry my load or you carry my load? It's both. We work together. There'll be times because of our human tendencies when I make a disastrous choice, I need your help to survive the day. But it's altogether wrong of me to presume that I can make a habit out of that and I just get to chill back and watch you carry it all. No, 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 that's not reasonable. That's not God's way. Some of you are going to say, but John, if I pull out now from carrying this load of a friend that I've been carrying for so long now, if I just pull out on them now, they're, they're not going to cope. They're not, not going to be able to, to move forward without me. And I'll feel guilty and I'll feel responsible if they just fall back into their destructive behaviour. 
I'll, I'll blame myself. If they end up doing something silly, I'll feel responsible for it. I should have helped them for longer. I should have continued to pay their way. I should have done more. Some of us live with guilt around this. But there comes a time where it's not sustainable for you and I to be always there carrying not just our bag, but their bag as well. And if us helping them is making us sick and our health is suffering because we're carrying such a heavy load, then it's not sustainable. And if our finances are up the creek and we can't pay the bills because we're giving it all away, it's not sustainable. If us looking after their kids means we haven't seen our own for a month or invested in their lives, it's not sustainable. I can't carry their bag and mine. Something is wrong with that picture. So where to from here? Because guess what? Some people want you to carry their bag. And they're happy for you to do that forever. As long as you do that, they'll keep presenting and say, here it is, here it is. We need to avoid taking false responsibility. You're not God. I'm not God. Only Jesus is qualified to carry the fullness of someone else's load. But in its most healthy version, followers of Jesus who are full of the Holy Spirit have this inclination to want to help, to want to care, to want to be involved in people's lives. And that's wonderful, but just be aware of your own soul as you walk along that journey and don't forget your own vulnerability. That was what the first point was. Some of us are pouring out so much, we've ran ourselves dry. This is a balancing act and it's difficult to maintain, just ask me. I have to remind myself there's only one saviour and whilst his name starts with J, it's not you, Jono, it's Jesus. And once you and I have obligation ruling as our primary self-talk, we've lost our way. I have to, I have to, I have to. This person depends on me. I have to do it. Really? Sounds like obligation calling, not necessarily God calling. But they won't cope if I pull back. I'm the only person keeping them alive. Really? Or is that just a guilt trip? Sounds like you're no longer burden bearing. Sounds like you're bag carrying at that point in time. Let me use exaggerated language to make a point. Once a long held pattern has been established and you realise, hey, I've been taken for a ride. I'm carrying all of these bags that people have dumped on me and I can't keep up. I thought I was helping originally, but now I realise I'm enabling. And now I realise I can't keep it up. I'm just supporting a habit. I'm not really helping. That person is in the exact same predicament as they were five years ago when I met them. And five years on, I've poured out hours and countless energy to help. And they're still stuck in the same old behavioural patterns. What then? Well, you don't necessarily pull out now. I mean, you just coming to them and going, I'm sick of this. You take it back. 
I mean, that's as bad as them throwing it on you in the first place. You don't pull out now, but you have the conversation now. You have the conversation. And if this has been a long-held pattern of you carrying their load, then maybe you need a long runway to pull out, but the conversation starts now. Hey, Dave. Hey, Dawn. Hey, Mark. Hey, Megan. I'm going to stick to the commitment I've made. Like, you're good for the rest of the year for us to continue to do what we're doing. But you need to know that it's not sustainable for me to do it beyond that time. And I'm just letting you know. I mean, that's a long runway. I'm presuming the worst case scenario there. But I'm just letting you know in advance that come the end of the year, things are going to have to be different for me because I just can't sustain what we're doing. I need to change some things and I'm preparing you for that. Give a long lead time to get out of the situation that you've created because you created it. You said yes to things that you should have perhaps thought through a little better. Now I know things grow and change and evolve and we thought we said yes to that, but it ends up that we said yes to that. I get it. But ultimately, we need to take control back of our lives because we're accountable to God for our decisions. And saying yes to everybody else sometimes means we end up saying no to God. And that's disastrous when that happens. We haven't got any time to be still and know that he is God because we're frantically trying to keep all of these bags going that people have dropped on us. We'll explore this more in the middle of the year in another series. I feel confident that you'll forget it by then. (laughs) So I'm going to say it now. You say, how rude of you, Jono. You'll be confident we'll forget it by June. Well, what did I speak about two weeks ago? Ah, gotcha, didn't I? Here's what we'll be looking at in the middle of the year. Luke chapter 10, it's a story of Mary who sits at the feet of Jesus and just soaks in his presence. But what you may not have noticed about Luke 10 is that story of sitting at the feet of Jesus and soaking in his presence and spending time just loving him sits alongside the Good Samaritan. And I don't think that's an accident. I think Luke's communicating something to us. If you want to be the Good Samaritan, if you want to be helping people along in their life journey and helping pulling them out of holes and helping bear burdens, then make sure you regularly sit at the feet of Jesus because that sitting will actually empower the serving. They go together. They're not not separate. They've got to belong together. The more you serve, the more you need to sit to recoup and keep your own focus of being on the Lord. The sitting is the thing that sustains your serving. Don't try and just get your life from one corner or the other. They belong together. If you're not serving, you need to be serving. But if you're not sitting, you need to be sitting because that's what keeps you serving in the long run. Would you stand for prayer as we close out? Oh, Jesus, thank you that you are the great burden bearer. Thank you that you came to us when we were still sinners and loved us and gave us your best when we were at our worst. 
And we want to pass that love on. We want to pass that grace and mercy and compassion on to others. But we need, Lord, to keep our connection strong with you so that we don't run out of fuel, so that we don't run out of energy, so that we don't just operate in our own strength. We need you, God. And so would you help us, Lord, please? Would you help us to serve? Would you help us to care? Would you grow our compassion? Would you rid us of pride? Well, we might think we're above the person who's presently struggling. And would you position us because we are so full of your Holy Spirit that we are ready to pass that compassion and love and grace on that we have found in Jesus. And for other of us this weekend, God, we're asking for the discipline to sit. Maybe there's some bags that need to be put down. We lay them at your feet and we ask for courage to have the conversations and make the changes we need to. Because, Lord, ultimately, it's all about you. It's about our love relationship with you. And whatever flows from us, we want to come from that place. So, Lord, help us.